This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon and welcome to the Saturday edition of the best of Fight Back from the week that was. Should we get rid of for-profit nursing homes and bring long-term care under the Canada Health Act? According to a Toronto Star investigation, a resident in a for-profit home has been about 60% more likely to catch COVID-19 and 45% more likely to die than a resident in a non-profit home. And a for-profit resident is also four times more likely to catch COVID-19 and four times more likely to die than residents at municipally run homes. Joining Libby Snymer to discuss our Monday Zoomer squad, Peter Mugridge, senior editor of Zoomer magazine, David Kravitz, vice president at Zoomer Media, and Marissa Lennox, chief policy officer at CARP, A New Vision of Aging. I think it's an important debate that's being had at the moment, um, and it's why we see sort of around the world for-profit homes tend to perform poorer than other not-for-profit or municipally-run facilities. Um, this is a challenge that existed before COVID, um, and it is a ch- challenge that will persist. And part of the reason is because for-profit homes tend to have less staff. Staff is the biggest budget line item for homes that are trying to turn a profit. And so the first thing that they'll do is cut staff. And so that's one of the biggest challenges. But when you also look at a number of other studies that have been, there tend to be higher hospitalization rates, higher mortality rates, more bed ulcers. So these are really troubling trends that we're seeing in long-term care homes that are for profit. At the same time, um, a lot of the challenges do exist in not-for-profit, particularly around Staffing, so those, those things do exist in other facilities, um, and we do need to appreciate and understand that to build new long-term care homes, you know, these are forty million dollar projects. So, if the private sector doesn't step in to build these facilities, is that something that the government will allocate funding towards? So, I think you know, from our perspective, how do we? So, in the absence of changing the system, how do we work with the system that we have to ensure that people are receiving better care right across the board? David, should we change well, the system? I mean, this is this is really, you know, well, you know, it's just in the last week or so, but that seems to be the question. Well, I, I echo a little bit of what Marissa says. I think that if the model becomes performance-based rather than ownership-based, uh, we'll get a better outcome because if you suddenly say there can't be for profit, what do you do with the existing ones? Uh, how do you meet the increased demand before COVID even came along? We had the Minister of Health and Doug Ford both talking about ending hallway medicine by providing more long term care beds. Where are they going to come from? What do you do with the people living in a for profit home now? Where do you move them to? So if you, if you keep the focus on ideologically, we like for-profit, we hate for-profit, I think that's a dead end. If you say every long-term care facility must meet these requirements, A, B, C, D, and then let the ownership structure fall where it may, I think that will lead to better outcomes. 
but we we have. I mean, they are under the same regime as not for profits right now. And if you ask them, they'll tell you we have very strict restrictions on the money that we receive from the government. So the money we receive for food has to go for food, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Peter, uh, but they still have to eke out a profit. Yeah, and and they they generally take their profit by uh, reducing staff levels. And um, the thing to um, realize about this Star article, though, is the like the story isn't finished on on uh, outbreaks yet. And um, you know the, the the data we're getting now is a little bit what they call loose. You know, like it, it it's 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 drawing a picture, but it's not drawing a complete picture. And um, I, I think we're going to have to wait until the end of it to, to have a, a clear picture on, on how, you know, the, the for-profits did against the non-profits. So, like right now, it, it looks pretty stark, but, but the, um, you know, it, it's still ongoing and it will be ongoing for a while now. So um, I, don't, I don't think we should draw any firm conclusions yet from the Star article. Well, I I have to say, and there have been other studies, and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when we speak to advocacy groups like Marissa, like the Advocacy Center for the Elderly, lawyers uh, who specialize in lawsuits against nursing homes, I mean, it's it's the single thing that comes up, uh, that that there's a difference in profit versus nonprofit. And, you know, I looked at their method and and the for-profit, uh, long-term care homes are questioning their method, but, you know, I'm not a statistician, but it, it looked pretty sound to me, Marissa. Yeah, no, no, it, you're you're right about that. Um, this isn't, these aren't new findings, um, and in fact, the findings from the STAR piece likely won't come as a surprise to many people in the industry. Uh, for a long time now, people have been advocating for the elimination of for-profit care. One, why are, why are we trying to turn a profit off the backs of vulnerable seniors? And two, statistically speaking, when you look at these studies that have been conducted, there is a trend. They do tend to perform poorer. Marissa Lennox, Chief Policy Officer at CARP, Peter Mugridge, Senior Editor of Zoomer Magazine, and David Kravitz, VP at Zoomer Media, our Monday Zoomer Squad. You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. Ontario's politicians, regardless of their political party, all agree the long-term care system is broken and has been for years. But they are not in agreement on what's necessary for a fix and what should have been done before the COVID-19 crisis began. Premier Doug Ford is promising a full review, while opposition NDP leader Andrea Horvath is calling for a full independent public inquiry. Libby spoke with the NDP leader about this on Tuesday. We also went to Marissa Lennox of CARP to weigh in on what route is best. But first, Andrea Horvath. The tremendous loss of life in long-term care, the, uh, the terrifying situation that family members find themselves in, and the knowledge that this uh, this broken system has been limping along broken for many, many years now. Uh, all of those things uh, point to the fact that we have to get a handle on long-term care and we have to have, uh, you know, that hard look at what's, uh, what's going on. And I was really disappointed today when the Premier did not commit to having a complete, full, independent 
public inquiry uh, into long-term care. I mean, you know, the loss of life, as I said, is tragic, and uh, we owe it to Ontarians to do that work uh, for the purposes of fixing this broken system. And let's not forget, the Liberals didn't put a full public inquiry in place when they should have, uh, when the wet lawfare murders took place. Uh, those heinous crimes were unthinkable. And we could have had a full public inquiry a couple of years ago. Uh, th- there's just no point in doing things in half measures anymore. We need a full, independent public inquiry, not just a government review. On the profit versus nonprofit, uh, a lot of people are thinking about that, but uh, they see the problem that certainly in Ontario, the vast number of of, uh, of homes are for profit. And in the interim, you know, where do you put the people that are in them while, say, new ones are being built? Do you expect the government to buy them? Uh, I mean, that's that's kind of the issue is what do you do with the people who are there in the interim? Well, I mean, it's not it's not a matter of getting rid of the existing uh, stock and, and moving people out. It's a matter of how those homes are operated and managed. You know, when, when we have a premier who's prepared to spend untold millions of dollars to shut down private companies like green energy companies that he didn't like, uh, then, you know, everybody says, well, he, he won the mandate to do that. I would hope that the people of Ontario would tell this government that their new mandate is to get the profits out of long-term care and focus on making sure our loved ones and our most vulnerable seniors have the dignity and quality of care that they deserve. They've deserved it all along. They really haven't gotten it all along. Um, and I think COVID-19 laid bare uh, the um, the horrendous uh, situations that that people and, and families have been facing in long-term care for a long time. Let's go to Marissa Lennox, Chief Policy Officer at CARP. What do you think? Well, it's something that uh, we've heard from our members, and it's something that we're considering, but I think timing is everything here. You know, we're halfway through a pandemic, potentially. Um, so I think now might not be the appropriate time to be calling for an inquiry when we, we don't have the full scope of all that's happened. Uh, in long-term care homes. That said, I would also add, you know, we did just come through an inquiry with wet lawfare and had a lot of those recommendations be implemented today. We might not have seen the same level of crisis that we saw in long-term care homes. Um, so the thing about inquiries, they're good and they're, and, and they're robust. And what came out of the wet lawfare inquiry was 91 recommendations and, and it's good, but they take time and we need urgent action now. Um, so I guess to answer your question, uh, timing is important, something we've considered, but I'm also looking for real legislative change from the government immediately to address some of the challenges that we've seen, the systemic challenges in long-term care. Moving right along to this morning's announcement, I was surprised that the initial reaction to it, a lot of questions and criticisms, it's not enough, it'll cover a month of extra expenses, this thing is going on. What's your view? It's, it's not insignificant $500. It'll help with They'll help cope with the the imminent crisis of, of grocery delivery and maybe some additional co-payments. The challenge is, is that it's not long-term, and it's unclear how long um, this will last. Remember, seniors have been impacted by, as I mentioned, an increase in delivery fees on groceries, prescription medication fees, um, because some provinces have moved to limit um prescription supplies to 30 days. Um, but, you know, we've also seen a shortage of free or discounted community services. Volunteer tax prep programs have shut down. Even meals at community centers. I read uh, recently that 40% of food banks in Ontario were closed due to physical distancing restrictions and also a shortage of volunteers. So 
it's unclear how long this is going to last for. So I think, you know, the $500, it's welcome, um, but it's certainly not a long-term, even medium-term solution. What would you like to leave us with on this? Yeah, I think, you know, from our perspective, we're pleased to see the government take action better late than never, um, but would urge the government to really do more around the retirement security crisis that has been caused uh, by COVID-19. Marissa Lennox, Chief Policy Officer of CARP, commenting on the federal government's move to compensate older Canadians during the pandemic, along with NDP leader Andrea Horvath and her call for an independent public inquiry into the devastation caused by COVID-19 in long-term care. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. For weeks, advocates for older Canadians have been complaining that seniors were left off of the a long list of groups that have received emergency aid from Ottawa during the COVID-19 pandemic. On Tuesday, Federal Seniors Minister Deb Schultz announced a one-time tax-free payment of $300 for everyone who is eligible for old age security and an additional $200 for those who also get the guaranteed income supplement. Another $20 million was announced for the New Horizons for Seniors program, which funds various community projects. Libby Snymer was joined by Fightback's Tuesday strategy panel to discuss the announcement. John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner, Fleischman Hillard High Road, Charles Bird, Managing Principal of Earnscliff Strategy Group in Toronto, and Karen Stins, former Toronto City Councillor and current CEO of Variety Village. I would imagine that some seniors that are uh, have the benefit of family supports or community supports, uh, this will, will 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 be enough. But for others, again, it, it, they'll they'll need more. So um, I, it's a difficult difficult issue to tackle. I think it's a good first step and. You know, hopefully out of this becomes a discussion about who does need more and, and how do we make sure that those needs are met. Um, it, it is, it's, it's just, it's difficult with a blanket policy to make sure that you're getting everyone's needs met. Charles, is, uh, is that enough, what the government is doing? No, I think you've summed up the situation, and I, I think CARP deserves a big shout-out for its continuing advocacy at what's, you know, obviously a critical time for seniors. And, you know, they've identified that there are increased costs of living as a result of, of the virus, you know, because of grocery premiums and develop, delivery fees and because of increases in prescription medicine fees. And so a big shout-out to uh, Marissa Lennox and all the great work that CARP is doing in that regard. This new program is worth $2.5 billion, and it's expected to help 6.7 million older Canadians. It's also very targeted to those who who need the money right now, which is to say um, folks who qualify for the old age security premium will be eligible for a one-time tax-free payment of $300, and those eligible for the guaranteed income supplement will get an extra 200 on top of that to a maximum of $500. Is it enough in the longer term? No, I'm not sure it is, but you know the, the approach of the government has not been to wave a magic wand and to decide, okay, you're getting this, you're getting this, you're getting this, everything's done. The government is taking a very, very measured, responsive approach and essentially doing these things in real time as needs emerge. And I think that's the responsible way of doing things. And it may be if, you know, the pandemic continues at, at its current breadth and 
in terms of its impacts, it may be that we will have to see another round of similar funding in, in the weeks or months ahead. Uh, John, do you have uh, any other thoughts on, on that payment? Well, I think it, it's good news um, for sure. I, and I, but I also hasten to say that it might be too little too late in, in some respects, and, and maybe never too late. It's better better late than never. Um, but this this is an issue, especially around seniors, that, that the Prime Minister has been saying from the get-go that during this COVID pandemic that the seniors would be the most vulnerable and the most hard hit. Uh, and the fact that we're two months into it, uh, and he made this announcement, um, you know, is a bit, is a bit you know, concerning in some ways. And I think it, it obviously, you know, given all the discussions we've had with seniors in the long-term care facilities and what we've been seeing going on there, that that the pressure was mounting for him to make an announcement on, on seniors, because I know that he's had questions about this uh, in his daily scrums for some time, and, and things were, were coming. So, you know, look, I, I'm glad that it, it, it came. Uh, it is an announcement that's going to help uh, the vulnerable and, and the seniors. And, and I do think, though, that, you know, some of the issues are that, that he needs to address are something that he's talked about even during an election campaign when he's talked about increasing holding security and, and increasing and adding to the CPP, uh, the Canada Pension Plan. Those are issues that, that he's made during election campaigns that have yet to materialize. Um, so, you know, I think that this will at least get the debate started, quite frankly, Libby, you know, on, on how much and, and how much more further he can go in supporting seniors at a time when they are vulnerable. Karen, what do you think? Well, I think, you know, in light of how hard the long-term care facilities have been hit, I think there is a natural desire for the federal government to, to want to come in with some national standards around care. And, uh, but I, I think it's also fair to say it's hit Ontario and Quebec um, much more acutely than some of the other provinces. So um, there's, there's that tendency to want to step in and fix something that you see is broken. I think that um, as the days and months unfold and there is, um, you know, now is not the time to be coming in to do it. I think it's completely appropriate for the federal government to express its interest in making sure it gets fixed. And if there is an appropriate role to play, then to play that role. But I, I think as, as the, the crisis, um, you know, begins to soften, I think that it, it, it is provincial jurisdiction, and I think that provinces are better able to manage long-term care. The national standards, um, I think, are appropriate and probably would be welcome. But, but ultimately, the fix is going to be in Ontario, and I think that uh, Premier Ford was right to say that um, there will be a review, and it will be the legislature that will be involved in that review. Karen Stintz, John Capabianco, and Charles Bird, our Tuesday strategy panel. This is the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. Family members of a man who died with COVID-19 in Ontario's worst-hit long-term care home have launched a $1.5 million lawsuit against the facility. It was filed against Southbridge Care Homes and its 294-bed Orchard Villa long-term care and retirement home, where the novel coronavirus has infected at least 96 staff and 225 residents and led to the deaths of 72 people. Family of former resident Paul Parks allege his death occurred as a direct result of negligence and breach of contract. Melissa Miller is a partner at Howie Sachs and Henry LLP and is representing Paul Parks' family. She spoke with Libby on Thursday. Certainly, this is just the first of many families that I've been contacted by to issue uh, lawsuits against Orchard Villa. 
uh, and I've also been contacted by families of other homes as well. And uh, I've also filed claims against Lundy Manor on behalf of some families there, which is a retirement home. The retirement homes have been affected as well by all of this. So this is just the start of it. What is it that you have to show in this lawsuit? Because I'm assuming that the uh, uh, the argument would be, you know, it's a pandemic. We were hit by it, as was every other long-term care home, uh, whatever those arguments are. Yeah, look, I mean, these cases haven't been fully investigated yet, but as evidence has been coming to light, mostly through whistleblowers in the media, people who are actually working at these homes and families who have come out and and discussed uh, in public and with me what they've seen, what they've been told, it's, it's primarily two issues. Um, lack of physical distancing is, is one. I think the biggest issue is the lack of personal protection equipment because we've got, uh, you know, understaffing is already a huge issue and, and that's a component of this as well. But when you're not protecting the an infected residents or potentially infected residents and staff, uh, from an outbreak, then with, with having that proper equipment, I mean, that's just a non-starter right there. Can they not argue saying, hey, we just don't have the PPE? Of course they can. And they will. They absolutely will. I'm sure of it. But the the Long-Term Care Homes Act has regulations in place that mandate every single long-term care facility to have in place an emergency measures plan and a plan for outbreaks, including viral respiratory infections. And that's exactly what this is. And there's lots of epidemiological evidence out there that far preceded the novel coronavirus, COVID-19, that should have alerted the administrators and owners of these homes to have that kind of plan in place. And we've gone through this with SARS, and this is more contagious, and, and it is incumbent upon these homes to anticipate what could be an outbreak? And, and let's not forget that COVID-19 is exceptionally deadly to the elderly and our vulnerable, but so is the flu and so are other types of illnesses and outbreaks. So the, the virus itself might be new, but protecting our elderly from viral infections and outbreaks is not new at all. It's been there all along. How do you proceed now with this lawsuit? Quite frankly, uh, I'm at an evidentiary disadvantage. I'm relying on uh, what some of the staff and the families have told me. I'm relying on the public bulletins that are on the uh, are on the websites about what steps have been put in place. I mean, the evidence that I have so far it, from the families that I've spoken with is that when COVID first broke out in Orchard Villa, they were treating it like the flu. And they told families that, don't worry, it's just the flu. And that was as late as early April. Wow. And the testing of the residents wasn't done in a timely fashion. And they, because they weren't treating it as possibly COVID, uh, again, this is the evidence that I have now, um, they weren't protecting people as if it was COVID. And so I think we've got an issue there. But we do need to have more of an inquiry at a public level so we can get to the bottom of this. Because as we've been talking about, 
This is not just a COVID issue. These issues are systemic and long predated COVID. Do you foresee a possibility? I mean, could these things put all these nursing homes out of business and what happens then? Most of these uh, facilities will have insurance that will respond. And I, I can't tell you sitting here today whether these insurance policies have pandemic clauses in them as an exclusion or not. I don't know. Uh, I also don't know if these homes will have to pay a deductible for the occurrence or for each case. Um, I, I really don't know, but there there is insurance that each of these homes will have. Whether these homes will have to contribute a, a part of that, I don't know. But certainly these homes are for-profit homes and should be held to account. Lawyer Melissa Miller at Howie Sachs and Henry LLP. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. Fight Back with Libby Snymer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. We've gone through the audio. Here are some of the best calls of the week. June in Welland phoned to talk about her personal experience in not-for-profit nursing homes. One thing different between long-term care non-for-profit as compared to for-profits, I'm working on a, I'm on a board of a non-for-profit, is that we have the ability to fundraise and we can get um, donations that help us to purchase a lot of items and help with a lot of things in the homes that a pro- obviously a for-profit cannot do. That's and that makes a big difference in, in what we provide in care for our patients as far as things we can provide for them. And now, Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week comes from Patricia in Ajax, who phoned with her view of COVID-19 in long-term care as one of the founders of the Advocacy Center for the Elderly. My view is that there needs to be a full public inquiry and it needs to be an investigative inquiry and it needs to have a very broad mandate. And I also believe that there need to be police investigations into what's occurred in long-term care. If you read the inspection reports, it certainly raises questions about whether criminal acts have taken place. And I think police should be asked to start with those inspection reports. The other thing that's not appropriate is that the Ford government totally reduced the number of inspections, resident quality inspections that were taking place. Those are the comprehensive inspections that we actually need. And we need a strengthened inspection branch, not a weakened one. And quite frankly, we shouldn't be institutionalizing this number of older adults anyway. That does it for today's Best to Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca. Follow us on Twitter at fightbacklibby and have your say anytime on our Fight Back voicemail at 416-367-9636. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again at the same time tomorrow when we'll round up the rest of the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi. With technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. 
Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.